Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In episode eight, we'll be interviewing Dr. Andrea Pennington, author, acupuncturist, meditation teacher, and sex educator. Then, I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is The Arts of Seduction by Seema Anand. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for self-esteem. But first, let's talk about my own journey to self-love. Our guest today, Dr. Andrea Pennington, has a fantastic TED Talk called My Journey to Self-Love that almost has a million views and it's an incredible, incredible talk. Anyway, I thought I would share my own journey to self-love. And it's, how can I say it? I haven't arrived at the destination yet. It's kind of, it's all a journey. When I look back upon my life, that sounds like a Pet Shop Boys song. (laughs) Um, My biggest regret has to be not loving myself enough. Let me explain. I think I've kind of internalized other people's opinions of myself. For example, I was brought up very Catholic and some of my, some people in my family really kind of looked down upon me when I, when I'd had my first boyfriend and broke up with him and the fact that I wasn't a virgin anymore, they kind of like said to me that I was secondhand and no one would love me. And even though on a conscious level, I did not believe that. I kind of maybe on a subconscious level did internalize it and did maybe think that, and not just that, not because I wasn't a virgin, but also because I've been quite a weirdo. <laughs> I, I felt that maybe some of my possibilities were limited in terms of what kind of people I could attract into my life and what kind of life I would have. I think I kind of, I thought a lot of possibilities were just not available for me because of that. So anyway, many oftentimes in my life, I went for, I had toxic relationships, even though some moments were amazing. Um, I have had a lot of toxic relationships in my life and very intense relationships. And it's interesting that when I discovered sex toys, that actually freed me from toxic relationships and emotional roller coasters. But even though I was kind of more, let's say, emotionally independent, I did kind of went go to the other extreme and I became a kind of um, commitment phobe. And during that time, I kind of um, attracted a lot of guys who were Im- Im- unavailable to me, either emotionally, sentimentally, or geographically, which is kind of interesting when you start attracting people who live in different cities and they come to your city from time to time. It's really kind of um, a strange situation. It does kind of feel also emotionally safe because you can't get too deep and you have sporadic moments of intimacy and then you can go back to your own life, which I guess in some, in some degree, it did kind of work for me back then. And also in friendships, I found that I have overgiven and I've been that friend who's just been too helpful for people because I was trying to overcompensate something. Maybe I didn't see my own worth. And I was thinking, oh my God, you really want to be a friend with me? And um, and that led to massive disappointment. I can think of many friends that I was kind of doing too many things for. For example, for example, here in Barcelona, I speak French and Catalan and, and French and Catalan and Spanish. So I had uh, friends over the years who don't speak Spanish and they've needed me, needed me to be a translator for them. But I've kind of gone the extra mile in too many situations. And there's nothing wrong with helping people as long as it's reciprocated. But when, it, when it's a one-way thing and then the friendships turn into a kind of one-sided friendship and then that person is only contacting you when they need something, I've, really, I've lived that so 
so many times. And in the past, I kind of used to blame the other people for kind of taking advantage of me. But now I've kind of, um, I don't really think like a victim anymore. I feel absolutely responsible for my own actions and my own situation. I really believe that a lot of it was due to the fact that I wasn't loving myself enough. So now I've been in a situation where I've been making new friends. I've entered a relationship not so long ago um, that I didn't think was was working. I'm really, really, really working hard on self-love and self-care. And also I'm taking lots of actions about self-love. For example, I talked about in a previous episode about my self-love bank account. For example, I'm having spa treatments quite regularly, eating organic food. So I'm doing lots of things on a maybe materialistic level for self-love, but I I need to kind of, you know, work on the human relationships a bit more. And I'm getting there slowly, just seeing my worth, um, knowing that I am a good friend. And even though I might have um, an unconventional job, whatever, I am definitely lovable. And yes, I'm trying to internalize all of those ideas, really. So it's an interesting journey to go on. And Yes, it's uh, it's not complete yet. And I am enjoying the journey as well. And it's kind of interesting to create these, set up some boundaries as well about what you will and won't accept in life. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Andrea Pennington. Dr. Andrea Pennington, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you today. I've read your book, The Real Self-Love Handbook, and I've got so many questions about that. And um, you do so many different things, and you've done so many different so many different things in the past. How would you describe your job title at the moment? <laughs> Maybe that's um, I try to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm trained as an integrative physician and acupuncturist. So on the health side, that's where I come from, with a specialization in trauma recovery, um, addiction, and age management. On the other side of things, I'm also an educator, and I utilize the media, um, documentary films, books, internet programs. So I'm really doing a lot in the world of recovery, resilience, and self-love in medicine and in the media. Fantastic. I had my very first acupuncture session on Monday. Really? The first? Yeah, I've never had it before. It's incredible because I have this kind of chronic hip pain, which probably, probably is quite normal with um, sitting down a lot. On the left, maybe there's a sacral chakra kind of trauma there as well. So I went to this um, Chinese medicine place and um, they, I was asking for a massage. I ended up having electroacupuncture. It was fascinating. Yeah. It was very hard for me to actually relax during it because of all these like involuntary spasms. But now I'm like, as good as new, it's absolutely amazing. Do you do electroacupuncture or the, just the needles? Um, I've, I've, done, I've done it all. Okay. So cupping, moxibustion, electro, like the whole the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay. So talking about the real self-love handbook, a proven five-step process to liberate your authentic self, to build resilience and live an epic life. What was the inspiration behind writing this book? It really came from my own recovery process. Um, I over the last several years have been very public about my experience with depression and anxiety, um, including going live on the TEDx stage and bearing all, including my, my, um, my near-death experience. And many people who heard about my story and heard that I had recovered from depression and found real self-love, they asked me, you know, can you coach me? You know, can you give me therapy? And at the time, I was like, no, 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 that's not for me. That's not for me. Um, but a very dear friend, uh, Dr. Janet Anthony, actually kept bugging me. <laughs> she kept sending me messages like, listen, you sound just like your mom. My mother was, was doing a lot of psychotherapy as a physician. And she was like, can't you just work with me? I mean, come on. And I, finally, I decided, let me just put it in a book. All of the resources that I do with clients and with myself and, and that's how it happened. So you created the, the five-step process yourself? Yes. The five-step process is called the cornerstone process. And I used it in my, my medical practice. I had an intensive outpatient treatment program for binge eating disorder and addiction. 
And through the course of integrating acupuncture and herbs and spa treatments and cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness, I developed, well, I didn't develop it. It was downloaded to me from the divine. But this five-stage process was what I was teaching my clients so that, I, I don't know if you experienced it when you were getting the acupuncture, but one of the protocols we use is very relaxing. It's an ear protocol that's for drug and alcohol detox. And once you put in these acupuncture points, most people totally relax. They feel like they feel their emotions, but not in an overwhelming way. It's, it's as if it gives them a little distance to name their emotions and to recognize that they are not the emotion that they feel. And then I would lead, <clears throat> and then I would lead the clients through a guided meditation. And over time they were saying, you know, can't you just come home with me? <laughs> I want to feel like this all the time. And so this five-step process, you know, I kept teaching it and teaching it to them so that they could do it anywhere. Um, so that along with the attunement meditation is what is in that book that you have. And it's been helping thousands of people around the world either do therapy on their own or do it while they're in a 12-step fellowship like AA and others, or to actually do it with a therapist. I thought it was fascinating what you said about the ear, because when I was in the Chinese place on Monday to receive the acupuncture, I did see a big poster of the ear and how you could do reflexology in the ear. I think people just think it's just a foot thing, but it's incredible that how the ear can correspond to different parts of the body. Exactly, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the ear, the tongue, the thumb, the palms, wow. and the soles of our feet that all have a map, like down to the embryonic level of all of these organ systems. And so the ear is just a, a wonderful way that we can, we can still stick in needles. Sticking needles in, in the sole of your feet or the palm of your hand, not so great, but the ear is, is pretty much painless. Well, that's good to know, because it was a bit, a bit more painful than I, than I um, imagined. And also something that I find really amazing with your book is that I've actually um, been in therapy since um, since April, so just about four months. And um, I have this incredible um, um, health insurance. I thought, I'm going to just get my therapy, the, the one that's included in my, in my health insurance. And unfortunately, just, just because it's kind of accessible and, um, and quite good price, um, I've just been thinking, well, it's kind of like, all psychoanalysis, which at the beginning was kind of good just to get over something. So I felt like I needed to do um, an emotional detox. I felt like this for many years, you know, about my, about my attachment styles, about things that have been bugging me as a child or just from childhood, which is obviously a big area of trauma. But then I find that I've done psych, uh, psychoanalysis in the past, you get to a point where it doesn't really make any progress. I don't know if that, if that makes any sense, but I just find that if you just keep in the past all the time, you're giving a lot of power to that trauma and you'll always have a session where you're crying about something that happened to you when you're eight. So now I'm thinking, because I have an issue with nocturia and uh, that's a, you know, obsessively going to the toilet at night. And that kind of like stopped a lot of things in my life. And um, I just feel that this, um, I, found, I feel that I actually learned more about my, I did more kind of progress reading your book than, than the therapy I've done for four months. Because I found, I really loved the exercises about, going back to your past, but in a way more empowering way, such as your peak experiences. And I found that fascinating. And, and some of the quizzes about the personality test, and it just, it just made me kind of link parts of my past, you know, in a more empowering way about how I've always been since I was a child, not just going over a trauma at six or a trauma at seven years old, you know. That's absolutely what people have been telling me all throughout the years. Um, and I saw this myself with my clients that, I was surprised how many number of people in our practice had a history of trauma and had been through years of talk therapy and not gotten better until we did this integrative approach. And it's exactly as you describe, it's in the book, but I do it with clients, like connecting the dots from, for example, physical sensations, um, you know, mental challenges you've had maybe with brain fog or perfectionism, procrastination, the inner critic, depression, anxiety. And you're so right that for many people, just reliving or retelling the story of the past is not very empowering. In that first session, like kind of what you described, in the first few sessions, people will feel better many times because it's a relief to finally have a trusted person that you can like 
tell the truth about what happened to you. And typically, if you have a good therapist, they believe you, they can be empathetic. And that is actually very valuable in the healing process. But what I do in the book and work with clients and, and in all of my programs is that empowerment piece that you talked about. For one thing, we cannot change the past, but we can change the story that we tell ourselves about the past. And that's what traditional talk therapy, and even to some extent, cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't do. So with doing meditation, for example, you can access the content in the subconscious mind. And then when you do some of these journaling exercises that are in the book, you can start to rewrite your self narrative. So if you've carried around a narrative of being a victim, I even don't like for people to say I'm a survivor of, mm. because then you're, you're wearing that as your identity. So when you kind of go back and you start to do these journaling exercises, you can actually rewrite the story. And we're not saying deny what happened because denial is a huge part of the illness. When we make sense of it and then bring it to the present moment with our adult capacities, full of compassion, like reparenting ourselves, then whatever part of us that was wounded can actually grow up as well so that we don't end up repeating the same cycles of behavior or addiction or relationships. Because I feel that um, I, I do kind of crave more input from a therapist and I don't think it's ever going to happen. So I think if I carry on with this, I'll be doing it for years. <laughs> you know, I think there are other methods that are probably a bit more kind of just correcting the behavior. Because I do believe that the source of problems can be the past, but the solution is really in the present. And also it goes against everything I believe in, in my spiritual journey. And everyone who's on a spiritual journey know that knows that the now is the real moment, isn't it? To, there's too much power in the, to give them to the past, I think. It absolutely is. The, the power is in the present. And we're most powerful when we can reprogram the subconscious mind. Because without it, I mean, I have a lot of people who will just say, okay, I don't want to talk about the past anymore. That's the past. You know, I need to fix things now. Just give me some coping strategies. But the reality is that there are parts of us in the subconscious mind that may not have grown up, that may still be wounded, and they drive our behaviors. Like, you, know, you may have this part of you that becomes a real perfectionist or a part of you that's a procrastinator or leads you to hide. And so even though I can give people like the greatest productivity hacks and dating strategies. If you don't go in and heal the wounds in the subconscious, then you won't be as powerful in the present. So talk therapy without getting into the subconscious mind, I find is, is not as useful. So that's why that's another reason why I wrote the book and I host a monthly free coaching session so that people who are doing those exercises can get support. Yeah, I really love the exercises in the book because it's a, a way more kind of proactive approach just to just because then people read lots of books, but it's about what you do when you close the book, isn't it? <laughs> That's the yeah. most important thing. And I actually loved also the personal success mantra. Yeah. That, and, and, it, and it kind of got me into um, connecting with my values again, because they do say the more you know yourself, the more powerful you can be. But I want to, I'm, I'm going to read mine out for the uh, I hope I've done it correctly for the listeners. So it's, I am committed to a life of flexibility, healthy habits, and service to others. I value integrity, freedom, and hard work. I follow my intuition, and I live with passion and peace. I follow my own rules, dictated by my values and intuition. Nice. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I would only offer up one suggestion. Okay, tell me. Or actually, I have a question for you. Do you really love hard work? I, I value it, yeah, because I think I, I work, I have so much of such a fun job and um, I love seeing the fruits of my labor because it's like art and I've been um, a blogger and a, and a content creator for 12 years. So I do love that, but I do, I'm kind of now learning to delegate and kind of sit back and just, just do what I do and then let other, other people help me. So I definitely do love that. I wouldn't, if someone told me you can only work 10 hours um, a week, I think I'd be disappointed. I do like what I do so much. And the, the good, the bad side is that you don't know when the limit of work and life is, you know, when you're doing something so, so good. But I do really enjoy what I do. But I don't, I don't mean hard work as in working 12-hour days. I'm totally against that. And part of the orgasmic lifestyle is um, having no alarm for 12 years and just being really connected to your intuition and, and having a nice lifestyle. This is this um, podcast is not really about, you know, 
hustle culture or anything yeah. like that. Definitely not. Okay. I get it. Yeah. I get that. I love my work as well. I don't love working hard. I like to work with ease and flow. And I heard the word ease in, oh, yeah. in your mantra. So that's why I asked the question. But Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not like a victim to work. Definitely not. I think in the earlier years, years when I was starting starting up, then definitely I used to work a lot and work at the weekends. But now I'm, I'm completely disconnected and just loving disconnection as well and that, awesome. that, that also becomes content as well when it's when you're doing lifestyle content yeah mm. definitely okay so and one thing I really loved as well is the um personality test that you linked to in, in the book and I found that my number one value was humor I thought that was really interesting because always in my life when I've had different jobs or different connections what really kind of binds me or connects me to people is the, the ability to just laugh at silly things and uh, I I've, I've forgotten that a little bit in my life I need to kind of focus on that a bit more that yeah that's really cool that, that humor is at the top of your list and, yeah. and and with that that value survey I find that so many people take for granted they're like oh that's that's like a strength that's a signature strength and but the nice thing about kind of pointing it out to you is that if you ever did find yourself in a rut, hopefully now that you've kind of got your list of your signature traits and your values, you can more proactively go after it. It's like, you know what, what would make me laugh right now to change my brainwave state or my you know, neurochemical state? That's a fun one. Definitely. And I was doing some research about you online as well as um, after reading the book. And I came across your interview from this morning with Holly and Phil. I actually saw it back in the day because I always click on the uh, kind of juicier um, interviews that they do. And I really love how they squirm on the sofa, daytime CTV. It's hilarious. And I actually did see that back in the day, but um, I, was, I, remind, I was reminded that it was you. And I was thinking, oh, wow, I'm going to speak to her in a couple of weeks. How cool. And they refer to you as the orgasm doctor. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> and you have a book called The Orgasm Prescription. Do you actually prescribe orgasms? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. You, you may remember from that interview that I said, I recommend that my patients have at least three orgasms a week. And that mm. is the minimum. Mm. Um, yeah, that show with Phil and Holly was, was quite interesting. There are so many things I could get into that were interesting about it. First, the squirming on the couch. Like... <laughs> You know, I, I don't know what it is about the Brits that like, they don't want to talk about orgasm and sex. Mm -hmm. And it was a little squeamish. But what was interesting about that was uh, the show was aired on a Monday. We, we, we were live on Monday. Over the weekend, they conducted a survey with some of their viewers and asked women in particular about their opinions about orgasm. And the high percentage of women who reported back, they feel guilty for having an orgasm was mind-blowing. So I, I'm sure that says something about the Brits, but it's interesting because what I found out in my research for that book is that, number one, orgasm happens in the brain. And for women who are not able to experience orgasm, it's generally within them. Now, I mentioned that I recommend three orgasms a week. I actually do that from the medical side because for a person to have a lowered libido, libido or whatever natural sensations or sights, if it's not turning them on, quite often there's a physiologic reason. So that could be high blood sugar, it could be high blood pressure, could be nerve damage. So it's kind of like a screener. But the other thing that we found is that for women, if we have way too much going on in our head, whether we're judging the situation, judging our partner, judging ourselves, judging whether or not we deserve you know, to have an orgasm, that's gonna hold back all of that sexy, fun stuff. So um, yeah, that was, it was an interesting time. And, and sharing that book around the world has been really wonderful because I've gotten emails from people. Like I had this woman in her 70s who said after 40 years of marriage, she finally had an orgasm with her husband. And I'm like, Oh my God, you went 40 years? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think women don't prioritize their own pleasure enough. And that's also, I get this very similar messages because I'm a, a sex toy reviewer and sex toy designer. So I get oh. a lot of them. Um... I didn't know that part. Designer. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. it's, it's really fun because I've got 700 sex toys and um, <laughs> it all started in 2013. I was um, very prolific in Spanish media 
And I started to receive free sex toys and I put two and two together and made it my business. And that's my business now. So obviously I do enjoy hard work, as you can see, because it's, it's really fun. But I don't always feel like it because sometimes I think, oh, my God. And I've got these emails saying, have you done the review yet? I'm like, oh, OK. I try, I try to kind of respect my own biorhythms, you know, not just do it because it's work. So that's um, that's <laughs> it's quite an interesting, uh, interesting job. But I do think that. There's, I mean, things have improved a lot you know, over the years that I've been in this in this business. But I do feel that some women might not might feel as they're being unfaithful to their partners if they use a sex toy sometimes. So um, I think with men, they they kind of assume they kind of can do things on the side like watch porn or whatever. But with women, it's kind of like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe that explains why some women feel guilty about it. They feel like they shouldn't be doing it. Or maybe they feel that they can have a better orgasm on their own, on their own than, than with a partner because, you know, often partner sex is too much focus on penetrations and that's not really, yep. not really where the party is at for most women. Exactly. So that's a lot about what I talked about in the orgasm prescription for women, but it's also in the Real Self-Love Handbook. It's just really understanding how you got programmed mm. and, and doing kind of an inventory. Like, what are my beliefs about my body, about pleasure, about sex, about um, one of the things you'll see in the orgasm prescription for women is that I say, your partner is not responsible for your orgasm, mm. period, for women, I'm saying. So whether you're, if you're a woman with a woman or with a man, it doesn't matter. You are responsible for your orgasm. So we can't put the blame and say, oh, my partner isn't you know, doing the right moves or doesn't have the right package. It's like, no, orgasm is your responsibility. Yeah, that's why people shouldn't be faking it. They should really take responsibility and communicate what's not going on, what's not, what's not, because obviously men are not mind readers or clairvoyants. They need to exactly. be guided. Definitely. Um, what about sex as we get older? I've recently um, been investigating a lot this uh, the topic of sex and menopause, and I just read a statistic the other day about um, how this is the, a really growing market in the US, the postmenopausal women um, market for lubricants and for other sexual wellness products. I have massive questions about it because I think people don't really talk about it enough. And when people do, like let's say some celebrities share their experience, it's often very traumatic and very very negative. I mean, you do wonder what's it going to be like? Because I think I, I do find libido is often dictated by menstrual cycles. <laughs> that can really have a huge influence. Not having one, I wonder how it's going to be. Do you think it's possible to live a, a satisfying sex life without going on hormone replacement therapy? Well, absolutely, yes. Um, HRT or hormone replacement therapy is wonderful for helping women who are in the perimenopausal menopausal and postmenopausal phase um, deal with some of the symptoms that come along like hot flashes, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, hot sweats, poor sleep, because all of those impact, of course, your desire to have sex, the enjoyment of sex and orgasm. Um, personally, I feel like it needs to be a discussion you have with your doctor. Because of you know, the Women's Health Initiative, many people got afraid of HRT. But we now know that with bioidentical hormones, for example, and um, as long as you are treating locally, if, for example, you happen to have had um, an estrogen sensitive breast cancer, uh, there are ways to take advantage of HRT. I say that because even if you don't want to be on it for very long, for many women, some of the symptoms are really drastic. So, for example, as your hormone levels start to decline, as you reach menopause in the period around, as well as during, um, vaginal dryness is like a major, major issue. And when that tissue is dry, then everything is going to be painful. And so, of course, lube is, is helpful, and that can absolutely um, be used, even if you don't, especially if you don't want to be on HRT. But the most important thing is to communicate. And as you said, a lot of people don't like to talk about it. For many of us women, we feel like, wait, am I less of a woman now? Um, and especially if I have to rely on, you know, creams or gels or, you know, other things. But the more that you communicate with your partner, it, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And for many women, it just means that foreplay needs to happen earlier and last longer. 
so that you continue to have that sort of receptivity. And um, some of the toys that you review can also be useful because for, for many women, like say they hit 40 or something or they, they are divorced and, and they're a little bit older, they might not actually be getting any action. And the vagina is one of those organs that it's like either use it or lose it. So we, we lose some of the contractile uh, tissue and all of that. And so using, I mean, so for people who really are in the severe case, you might actually use dilators, which are not the same as, as dildos and, and vibrators. But all I'm trying to say is you can do some vaginal re-education if you are someone who is in menopause and maybe now you have a new partner and you want to get things uh, warmed back up. Fantastic. So I'm, I'm, I live quite a natural life. I'm like whole foods, plant-based, organic and all of that. And I was reading this book, Sex for One by Betty Dodson, which I absolutely love that book. And she said that she was quite natural as well. And then she describes menopause. And then she said when she, I think it was a few years after having menopause, then she went on HRT and she became juicy again. And I thought, oh, <laughs> the way she described it was kind of like, well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I love that description. In fact, I, I work with a doctor who used to go by the name Dr. Juicy Jill. Oh. And she's a hormone optimization expert. And she talks about the same thing. Like, So for example, if, for people who don't want to use systemic estrogen, <clears throat> you can use, well, w with the prescription from your doctor, many doctors will prescribe intravaginal DHEA which is kind of a precursor to some of these sex hormones. And putting in, you know, intravaginally, the same is also true with just straight estrogen. Women find that the lubrication returns, the, the, the density of the muscle tissue and, and the tissue returns. So <clears throat> you absolutely can become more juicy. But it's not just the physical phenomenon. It's this overall sense of vitality that we feel. When we feel like we are juicy, meaning we're juiced up, we have this sort of zest for life. You can absolutely have that in perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. And why not? Why shouldn't we? I mean, we are living longer now. We are living into our eighth, ninth, and tenth decade. So why not live juicy? You know, why not set that as your expectation? You know, I have patients in the past that would say, look, I want to be having good sex into my, my 80s. And why not? Definitely. Just today, actually, I um, researched HRT on the NHS um, from UK website, and I saw there's all these different things. It's not just one method. There are so many, so many different methods now. So it's a pity we don't know about this. There's no kind of education or about it. I think you have to find out on your own. And then also, I think there's a lot of like female ego. We don't really share this with um, friends or people of the same age who might be going through it as well. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't realize that it's not well talked about in the UK. I think there's certainly a lot more Americans um, who are on TV and writing books about it. Um, I'm happy that I'm, I'm actually interviewing uh, Dr. Stalker about this exact topic. Um, how do we reclaim our juiciness? You know, she, she teaches that. And if we would normalize it, then it would just be like anything else any other transition that we go through in life. It doesn't have to carry this heavy stigma or shame. Definitely. And because in the background, you've got your Manifesting Love book there. Is that, is that your latest book? Um, yeah. Manifesting Love and Holistic Healing came out in 2020. And Manifesting Love is all about what do we need to do internally, mentally, psychologically to prepare for a beloved. And whether that's a soulmate or whatever you want to call it, we go into that in the book. Fantastic. I'm going to definitely get to next. I'm, I'm freshly single. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so I'm definitely thinking about that. And also it's very exciting to see the world open up again, you know, after the pandemic, which has been pretty much impossible to, to meet people if you don't like going online. Cause I think um, for me, I don't really like going online. I think it's just, I've, I've done my, I've done, I can't, I'm not prepared to do that to myself anymore. <laughs> I've done online <laughs> dating in the past and those awkward meetings like, Oh no, <laughs> I rather much prefer to meet people in person and, uh, and through hobbies, etc. So it's a lot yeah. harder these days. It's been a bit harder with the pandemic. Speaking of the pandemic, how has this affected your approach to self-love and self-care? Well, for me, it's been very easy. Um, 
I will admit that I am an ambivert. I am pretty much an introvert most of the time. I can be outgoing when I need to be on stage or at a workshop, but I love being in my little cave. So the pandemic has actually been really good for me. It's allowed me to continue my self-care regimen with, with fitness and eating healthy. And I've come up with way more recipes, you know, cooking for me and my daughter. Um, it, for me, I never really had a problem with the blurred lines between work and home because I've been running my company virtually for years. So for me, I just have kind of rules that I put a hard stop on work and, you know, don't open the computer, don't take calls late. So it's been, it's been kind of easy for me. Um, and I've loved it. <laughs> I've loved the solitude. Yeah, for me, it's been, um, good in, for work because the sex toy industry has just grown so much. <laughs> I mean, it's been incredible. Um, and also I didn't read books for many years and now I'm just devouring them. And, um, I read 30 books last year, so I definitely made the most of my solitude, but I'm based in Barcelona and the, um, the rules were very strict here. So I only left the apartment twice a week. I was living in a shoebox apartment, so I found it very difficult <laughs> sometimes. Oh, wow. So literally the, the streets were empty and, um, and then there were people having parties in the day. So you couldn't really escape this kind of loud music and, um, just noise all the time and uh you just really feel the tension of people just wanting to go out and, and also when you go to the supermarket everyone's paranoid <laughs> it was just yeah. it was just awful and I used to come home and I washed my hair after being out because it was just like those first two months were really hard yeah yeah know? Spain was definitely hit harder I heard than what we experienced in France and for me I mean where I live in Cannes it's, it's very much like Barcelona being able to be near the sea but people here were actually pretty chill I mean which is interesting because sometimes the French, you know, they yeah. don't want they don't want to have their liberties can you know controlled. But yeah, it was. It was I was peaceful. living by the beach then, and um, I didn't see the beach for eight weeks. Oh, Literally, wow. it was end of the road, and there was police on the beach. You couldn't go on the sand. It was it was really 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 strict. Then we could only go out at certain times of the day, depending on your age group. And uh, wow, I feel like I've got post traumatic stress disorder from it. I think a lot of people have really. Yeah. I was actually in a retreat in France last week, an award-winning retreat in the French Pyrenees. Um, you mentioned several retreats in your book. Off, off the top of your head, can you think of the top three retreats that you've been to? Uh, that I've been to or yeah. that, I, that I facilitate? Okay, you facilitate retreat retreats as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I do. Um, gosh, I have attended some beautiful sacred plant ceremonies in Iceland. Mm -hmm. they, they come up top of mind right now. Um, just magical, magical ceremonies with soul white fire. Um, yeah, that's that's what's on my mind at the moment. Uh, when you say retreat, I'm usually thinking of my own. So I host retreats mm -hmm. for speakers and for people who want to brand themselves here in the south of France. And I just spoke at a beautiful retreat center in America, in um, upper upstate New York. It's called the Omega Institute. And it was such a peaceful place. Um, we were talking about resilience for my weekend workshop. And it was really, really beautiful. So have you got more retreats um, soon? Because everything's been a bit kind of shut down on a retreat-wise for a lot of places. Yes. In the foreseeing future? Um, other than that one, no. I am attending one at Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. It's a health center in Costa Rica. So I'm going for my birthday in oh, November. Wow. I'm so looking forward to. Um, and But the ones that I'm facilitating, it will be 2022, depending on what this pandemic does. In the south of France? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so a, a couple of quick, quick questions. Do you have a phrase or an affirmation, a quote or a philosophy that you live by? Yeah, the philosophy I live by is that I am lovable just as I am. And it's what I tell everyone. You are lovable just as you are. That's fantastic. And what's the book that changed your life? Oh, gosh. I could probably pick one for each decade. <laughs> um, maybe the first one was at university, uh, and it was called Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. Um, that one really shifted things for me on a spiritual path and introduced me to Buddhism. And in my 30s, reading the book by um, Harville Hendricks called getting the love you want or need, getting the love, it's one of those. Um, 
that one really, really shifted things. Because as you were talking about attachment styles, it was the first book that really opened my eyes to how my early childhood experiences were driving subconsciously my relationship choices. And I talk about that in the book, Manifesting Love, like recognizing all these certain patterns over our lives. So that was that was a pivotal book for me. I can totally empathize with that because I was reading this book last year by, I don't know how she pronounced her name, Jeanette Paylet, about living an orgasmic life. Mm. And I thought this is going to be a great, so obviously orgasmic life, the, the title kind of attracted me a lot. But it was actually hardcore, this book. It was about trauma and sexuality. And then she talked about um, childhood attachment styles. And I realized, wow, because I was kind of like brought up in a strict environment, not really encouraged to have friends. Now I'm kind of a, a bit of a loner. I crave company, but I'm also keeping people very far away. And, and I'm a commitment phobe. So I was thinking, oh my God, it just felt like <gasps> something I'd forgotten to push to the back of my mind. It was quite traumatic resurfacing that as well. And then I woke up and I had Bell's palsy just after re- after discovering this. It was like majorly traumatic. It was the oh worst my. thing. Yeah, it was very, very traumatic. And then I had to kind of deal with recovery from that and getting my smile back. <laughs> And that was a very hard experience. Well, it's good to see your radiant smile now. Oh, yeah. Um, I used to wake up and think, oh, my God. I used to touch my face to make sure I could smile. It was it was very wow. bad. Yeah. Okay, so where can people find you? I'm all over social media, at Dr. Andrea or at Dr. Andrea Pennington. And my website, andreapennington.com. Fantastic. I've also seen you on Insight Timer as well. Yes, I have been sharing free guided meditations for stress reduction, healing the inner child, um, and they've just invited me to do a course. So one of the courses I'm going to do on Insight Timer is going to be around burnout using neuroscience and mindfulness. That's interesting. I'll look out for that. Okay, Dr. Andrea Pennington, thank you so much for joining me today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been amazing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much. The book I'm reading now is The Arts of Seduction by Seema Anand. And she is a writer, mythologist, and storyteller. I'm reading this book because she's kindly accepted to be interviewed on this podcast in a few weeks. So I thought I would read her book to learn a thing or two and also to prepare for our interview. I love this book because it really does convey the the beauty of sexuality, which is something I'm definitely interested in. Also, she's very much inspired by the Karma Sutra. And this book is kind of like a resume of lessons from the Karma Sutra with a an application to today's world. Interestingly, at the beginning of the book, in the introduction, she says, someone recently said to me, All this seduction stuff is crap. Sex is hot and fast. When a lion has sex, the female knows it. Except we are not animals. Yes, it's possible to throw yourself on top of your partner and hammer your way to an ejaculation in a matter of seconds. But as journalist and author Yasmin Alibay Brown says, there is a difference between a fuck and an experience. I absolutely love the idea of sex being an experience, and that's definitely the kind of sex that I want to be having. There are many chapters in this book that cover many areas of seduction. The first one is the art of perfuming. I must confess that when I read this, I did feel a little bit guilty about the fact that I've not used any deodorant now for about five years. I'm really embracing my natural pheromones. And I think it's a real pity that there's so much emphasis on masking our natural smells and smelling like chemical products. I do really hate it when you smell very strong perfume from people and uh, I don't know, it's like they're trying to cover something up. And also something that really annoys me is that in every supermarket around the world almost, and in every drugstore, we can easily come across products that are for intimate wash or to wash the vagina basically, or the vulva. And I think this is, uh, these products send a very negative message to women. For example, first of all, they can actually disrupt your pH and the vagina is actually self-cleaning, so we don't really need these products. And also it really sends a message of 
the fact that your vagina kind of smells or that it's it's dirty. I think this is a very negative message. And it's the kind of message that we start to kind of receive from adolescence. We have these jokes about fish and also, yeah, it's just a very, very disempowering, very disempowering thing to not accept your natural smell because a, a natural smelling, healthy and turned on vagina is actually a very, very, very nice smell. I think it's important to actually embrace those pheromones and um, yeah, not be ashamed of them. Because if you are, then you're not going to be able to let go and enjoy cunnilingus. You'll be thinking, oh my God, I smell terrible. Because the more you use these products, the more likely it is to actually have an infection. And those do not smell very good at all. So I think it's important to to embrace our our natural healthy smell. And it's very curious that despite the abundance of intimate wash for women, why is there no penis cleaner? You can't find it anywhere. It's very, very, very strange. Anyway, the art of perfuming here doesn't really talk about masking your own smell. It's about using oils and placing them in different, part, different parts of your body. So a lover's nose who's, that's traveling around your body can pick up different smells in different places, which does sound very, very, very intriguing and seductive indeed. Something that really does seduce me is when someone really appreciates my natural smell and they'll take time to sniff my armpit or my vulva and then they can just, they show their appreciation. That's something that definitely works with me every time. Other chapters are quite interesting, such as lovers' quarrels and how arguing can really help the keep the passion alive. Obviously, not bickering, but having that kind of tension and and obviously make up sex after. Then she talks about different codes between lovers, which is always interesting. For me. I always find that when I am intimate with someone, I kind of make up. We may kind of make up our own language and different words, and I love that type of um, intimacy as a linguist myself. And then there are chapters about erotic nerves, love bites, and interestingly, the phases of the moon. I absolutely love following the lunar calendar. And this podcast is actually published on new moon and full moon. So I'm definitely, obviously very, very into it. But she talks about how our erogenous zones kind of change according to which day it is in the lunar cycle, which is an interesting prospect. And also, even if you don't follow the lunar, lunar calendar, it can be interesting to do different things on different days to actually have some variety. There are also um, chapters on dildos, because dildos have been around for a very long time, kissing and oral sex, which is, which really um, I did find quite um, intriguing because I was brought up Catholic and apparently the Catholic church ruled out oral sex in three, the year 342 AD, um, because it obviously wasn't, um, wasn't reproductive. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting that, that oral sex, I mean, I, I think the Catholic church has got a lot to answer for. For me, it's kind of like all this prohibition has made sexuality all the more appealing to me personally. Then there are, there's something about feet, which actually inspired me to get um, a pedicure this weekend. The art of thrusting, pillow talk, sex and food. We love food, therapeutic sex, gems and precious stones, and many more. So I definitely recommend this book, The Arts of Seduction. And now I need to find someone to practice my new arts with. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath, and enjoy. I believe in myself. I believe in my capabilities. I am worthy. I am intelligent. I am clever. I am confident. I believe I can do this. And I'm doing it now. <laughs> 
myself. I believe in my capabilities. I am powerful. I am worthy of success in all areas of life. I grow with every challenge. I am talented. I believe I can do this. And I'm doing it now. I believe in myself. I believe in my capabilities. I let go of my limiting beliefs. I know I can achieve great things. I deserve everything I desire. I learn from my mistakes. I believe I can do this. And I'm doing it now. I believe in myself. I believe in my capabilities. I trust myself. I trust the process. I am strong. I am resilient. I believe I can do this. And I'm doing it now. myself. I believe in my capabilities. I am smart. I can achieve my goals. I am doing my best. I make progress every day. I believe I can do this. And I'm doing it now. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.